0: drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silter Har Mazda, a no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wild Card Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Well, well,
1: Justin, you know that it's usually Eric and it's Goodman and Fry, but today we have you filling in, Justin Adams from PBS4. It's been a lot of fun. Oh yeah, been a lot of fun, man. We got another hour to go, so let's do this thing. Well, the the problem though is if Ralphie Six just burst through the door of Bio High Sports <laughs> and is there was such a stirring rendition of the fight song that she, yes, she, Ralphie yes. is a she. It's amazing how
2: many people don't know that. It's uh, you, you know what? It's
1: you just got to teach them. Well, we got to put weight on Ralphie, by the way. Yeah, we, first oh, we of do. all, she's really little yeah. compared to her predecessors she eats a lot of kale
2: salads out there so uh we got to put some meat and potatoes on her literally a lot of meat and potatoes so well
1: we're on the phone with ryan bolding of nhl.com colorado hockey now and the saturday noon hockey show on mile high sports radio we're going to talk about the avalanche but first ryan tell us about the saturday show
3: hello yes i i may not be the better looking of the the two of us but i might be the more hockey knowledgeable of the two of us from the hockey show
1: what what do you guys do and what do you talk about
3: yeah, all hockey, NHL hockey, all the time. I mean, not even just NHL. We got to talk, you know, my national championship pioneers and hockey at large on the hockey show.
1: Justin, yeah, Ryan is a snooty DU alum. Oh, come on, man, dude. By the way,
2: congratulations, man. I, I can't give you any crap when your team just won the, you know, the natty. You win that championship. Right. Uh, you know what? It's easy to talk about the ABS. I quickly do have a question about DU. Um, they went into that, uh, the Frozen Four, and the teams that they beat, you could make the argument that Michigan, and I believe it was uh, Minnesota State, am I correct, they had correct. more talent than DU. How were they able to win, and win convincingly the national championship game?
3: I don't know if they had more talent, but you look at like Michigan, they definitely had a very potent uh, line or two of players, kids who are. Were- first overall or first-round draft picks going to NHL teams when the season ended. So, um, you know, pretty miraculous the way that they were able to play, but I think that's credit to goaltending, to systems, and ultimately David Carl's coaching staff. I'm going to follow
1: up with another uh, before we get to the avalanche. You've got a pretty interesting background, how you got into hockey writing, hockey journalism, hockey broadcasting. Tell our listeners how you did that.
3: I did it the really long backwards way, Terry. Where instead of uh, you know getting a journalism degree and doing internships and making connections, I just started my own website and started writing and uh, making enemies and then friends. And Who were the enemies? And, and working my way up. Well, it seemed like at one point in time everyone at the Denver Post, but then they kind of came around. You yeah, know those... I, I put the shine on and they really liked me. So.
1: Well, you've come a long way, and we're proud of you. Eh? Uh, that sounds condescending. I'm, that, uh, let me take that back. We just know how good you are and what a valued member you are of the journalism fraternity.
3: So, I appreciate that. I have come a long way.
1: And you, you work for three, three or four different people, depending on what you count. So you're a busy man, so we appreciate the time. One of the things you did today was go out to Denver International Airport and go through the Avalanche Media availability. And I, I think I hear that you saw Darcy Kemper actually walking and getting – into the, onto the plane.
3: Yeah, as far as I could tell, Darcy Kemper had two arms, two hands, to clarify, two legs, two feet, two eyes, and was walking under his own power. So I, I can't comment on to whether he'll be playing tomorrow or available, but he is alive. He does exist.
2: But, Ryan, the real question is, was he able to clearly see his two arms and two legs? Was he able to, to really see himself well?
3: Listen, he he was alone, so he definitely drove himself as far as I could tell, he could pull his luggage bag. I didn't see him walk into a door, so I think we're all good there.
1: Maybe he took the light rail or Uber.
3: He could have, but, I, yeah, maybe Uber. I don't know. The light rail doesn't really go out to the signature private terminal out there. That might be a long walk from the, the main terminal.
1: Okay, but seriously, what, what do you think is the state of the avalanche goaltending now? Is it Pavel Fransulf's Frans- job now to lose it, even even if Darcy Camper is pronounced okay?
3: I think it's tricky, and it kind of mirrors what's going on with Mike Smith and Edmonton, right? So Mike Smith got them there, just like mostly Darcy got them there. And I think if, if he's healthy, it's his net. But I'm not so sure that he is healthy. And I kind of suspect that this might be a, a an injury or a situation where it's going to be his call as to whether he's feeling comfortable or not. And I think in the meantime, everything seems safe and secure with pa- Pavel Francouz in net. Yeah, so
1: in game the other in game one, which I what I didn't understand was when Pablo Franco said he had gotten a little advance notice on going in, and uh, warmed up through two shifts, and it was a power play. So, well, if Dar- if Darcy Kemper can't see, why would you leave him in for even those two two shifts on a power play?
3: Yeah, I guess I think you know you kind of alluded to it. Jared Bettner said it was a power play, so we didn't have any emergency kind of uh, situation there. But, but what if there's yeah, a
1: break, shorthanded breakaway, which happens all the time?
3: I mean, that could have been the difference in the game ultimately when the you know all was said and done and the, the snow cleared from the ice and we had 14 goals. But I think it's also scary because he could get hurt or hurt worse, you know, if he can't see the puck, which is kind of, I think, what people are assuming here after taking one off the face. Uh, you You don't want to risk further injury from a guy who can't safely play the position.
1: So are the oil done like dinner?
3: I don't think they're done. It certainly looks grim for them, but you know this is the team that got to the Western Conference Final through a lot of hard work on their end, and they have a very potent team. I think if Kyler Yamamoto is is hurt long term, he left the game yesterday. That's a, a big loss from them. But you know they've got Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle, and those two guys aren't going to go quietly into the night.
2: Speaking of Ryan Bolding of NHL.com and several other different outlets as well, And what was the biggest change for the Avs between Game 1 and Game 2? Game 1, they gave up goals to pretty much everybody and somehow was still able to win the game. And then Game 2, Blake Edmonton, what was the biggest change defensively that helped the Avalanche out?
3: I think defensively it was just a, a focus back on you know the small details of the game and and not just letting, uh, you know, some fire wagon hockey kind of get away from them. Taves and McCarr, you know, the Avalanche's most important defensive pairing, they had a real strong recovery from game one. They got they got burned from some goals, and Josh Manson, I think he had a very solid recovery from a kind of pedestrian game from himself in game one. And then the Avalanche just kind of waited, and as soon as they had the opportunity on some Edmonton mistakes, you know, three quick goals in the net before you realize what happened.
1: So, Nathan, Nathan, how is, in your mind, the scorecard on the Nathan McKinnon versus Mc, Connor McDavid duel?
3: Yeah, I think McKinnon has the edge right now, but, you know, McDavid is certainly a lethal player every time he's on the ice. I think at times this season, uh, Edmonton has had to rely on some Herculean efforts from him, and that's not necessarily fair when the whole team is on your back. But we've seen McKinnon do it, too. He had a hat-trick there in uh, St. Louis in a big game, um, and he had a really big goal, I think, last night, kind of kind of putting the Oilers away, putting them on ice at the end of that game. Not that they were in any position to kind of crawl back into it, but, you know, put the icing on the cake in that one.
2: You know what's interesting? We could talk about Kel McCarr and the, and the way that he's played, especially the first series against Nashville. You obviously know the rest of the stars, uh, you know, McKinnon, um, all the rest of the crew, right? It was great to see Miko uh, get to the back of the net last night. But I think the best player so far that has played for the Avs in the playoffs have actually been Nazem Qadri. Uh, what has he meant for this team? Because I remember last year he was suspended for the second round, and the Avs, they just couldn't recover, especially when uh, uh, Vegas started to get some Ws under their belt. How important is Nazem Kadri to the success of this team?
3: I think Kadri has been important in getting the team to where they are. You know, he had a phenomenal regular season, the best of his career. I mean, he may have played himself out of Colorado with the, the dump trucks full of money he's going to get after the season that he had. But I actually asked Gabriel Landeskog about how important Kadri's been just in the postseason alone for this team. And he said he's been huge for the team. He's a big game player, and he's been in a very important piece. He obviously had a statement game in St. Louis after receiving, you know, racist threats and comments, which obviously as a as a Muslim, uh, he's going to receive at all times in this country and maybe a little bit in Canada too. And to have a statement game like that, I think is very important. And then even last night, you know, he had three primary assists on those three goals in that two minutes and four seconds there. And it's just huge to to have the opportunity to pick apart your opponent like that so thoroughly and, and give yourself a real cushion in this best-of-seven series.
1: You're a Colorado and you're a DU alum. How have you witnessed the maturation? You played hockey. How do you, how do you witness the, and rate the maturation of Denver and Colorado as hockey markets?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's interesting how hockey goes as an NHL team goes, or at least hockey in the city goes, right? So the Avalanche moved to town, and hockey has a big boon, just like you you see Austin Matthews going as the first overall pick. He's a kid inspired by the Arizona Coyotes showing up, right? right. You start to see those things around the country. Um, I think Colorado's done a good job. I know you were talking about it in the the media room. What was that yesterday about – you know, players who have come through the Thunderbirds program. Um, we can't forget the uh, the Shore family who went through the DU program and had some some time in the uh, the NHL spotlight. We had Nick Shore playing for Team USA at the Olympics this year, so it's good to see. And you, Hi, you see more of it. I think it's a little bit unfortunate uh, that some players kind of cap out after the Thunderbirds and have to go on to other places to really take the next step. That's what i think colorado is missing now is kind of that in between
1: cu and csu have to start hockey oh, yeah,
2: immediately
3: yeah right <laughs> oh, <laughs> immediately me, competitive ones exactly
2: uh, before we let you go I, I am interested in your thoughts on the easter conference finals and what happened from here I, we're all thinking that tampa bay is going to win but this to me it just screams seven game series so what's your prediction we talked about a. Uh, Earlier on, we had another guest, and we talked about what will happen at the NBA Finals. Easter Conference Finals, what's your prediction overall?
3: Well, it's hard to sleep on Tampa, right? I slept on Tampa. I thought they would beat Toronto, and they did. I thought they would lose to the Florida Panthers, and they really shut me up there. So I think it's, it's hard to sleep on a team trying to be a 3 P champion here. But I don't know. The Rangers looked really good in Game 1, and Tampa looked really rusty. Maybe, you know, eight, nine days off was too much for them. And they might have a hard time getting it going where the Rangers are playing, you know, day on, day off. So I like where the Rangers are at. And I feel like game two um, in either series is probably going to be one of the most pivotal games. So I think it's really going to come down to how this goes. If, if New York can get out of there with a, a 2 nothing lead, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, dire straits here for Tampa.
1: Well, before we let you go, my turn to say that. Uh, There was an announcement here this week from the NHL, which didn't get a lot of attention around here, but Daryl Sutter was named the winner of the Jack Adams Award for Coach of the Year. Jared Bednar was not even a finalist. What do you got to do to get that attention?
3: I've been beating this drum, I feel like, for half the season. I did at least two stories at Colorado Hockey Now about it, Um, and I think the same is true of John Cooper from Tampa Bay, but I don't know what it takes. You know, it seems like... The the Coach of the Year award is just given to uh, most improved team coached by ex coach instead of you know a, a legacy of success or perceived that, to be a
1: leading an overachieving team.
3: Yeah, I think what Sutter did with Calgary, you know, he he not only cleaned them up defensively, but he added a, bit, a like more than a goal per game to their their stat line this season over last, and I think that's impressive. But you look at a guy like John Cooper who is leading his team to potentially the third Stanley Cup final uh, that they have an opportunity to win. You look at Jared Bednar, he's the f- the first coach in Avalanche history to lead the team to five postseason berths. I mean, this is, uh, both of these coaches have a legacy of success, and I think that when Patrick Waugh won in 2013 and then had a real bad year afterward, it kind of scared a lot of voters, um, and I think it should be a little bit of an adjustment and, you know, a coach that can prove they can coach success year after year instead of a guy coming in having a, one good year and that's it.
1: That 2013-2014 season when Nathan McKinnon won the Rookie of the Year award that Calder Trophy, I think we all kind of forget about that sometimes because of the idea that uh, we thought the Avalanche had arrived. We thought they were going to keep piling up those points. They went from 112 to 48, so they've really been... Over a couple of years, of course, but they've really, really rebuilt since then. And that's probably something we don't talk enough about kind of the rebuild from the, from the awful period, the 48 point season.
3: Yeah. And I think when you look at Joe Sackick and his, where his, where he is in the, uh, let's say the Mount Rushmore of Denver general managers, um, there are missteps in there too. He's had a real good legacy here lately, but you know, he added Sean Matthias and Mikhail Bodker as rentals uh, one Ooh. year. When, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Two guys who didn't do much were rentals on their way out of town, and you know, it it cost the team to give up assets for those guys at that period of time when they weren't ready. So things have gone well now. But I mean, look at the the consistency of this team and how they've grown together, and just you know, the firepower and the the depth pieces that have been added. Uh, he certainly did. Dem- I, I think deserves kudos for that
1: so what are you doing on the hockey show tomorrow at noon
3: well now i gotta throw out my whole show because we talked about everything <laughs> so we'll, i guess it's gonna depend well, on what the rangers do
1: well you know what you can do tomorrow I, I i realize you're a busy guy so you weren't paying attention when we were doing the earlier in the show but Justin sang the CU fight song so now now's your parting shot you have to sing the du fight song do you even <laughs> oh, know the
3: du fight song it, it comes in waves. I, I, I feel like this big swell of uh, collegiate pride when the, the Frozen Four is on and I learn the fight song all over again. And then it, it kind of leaks out of my brain as the Stanley Cup playoffs go on.
1: <laughs> well, thanks, Brian. It's been a pleasure. We'll have you back. <laughs> hey, on. That, this will be it all, brother.
3: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: So when we come back, we're going to talk about the Celtics Warriors game one and where they go from there. And there was a surprising star in game one.
2: Here's a hint he's a buff.
1: Oh, no kidding. Yes, sir.
0: Green-eyed we'll be right back. every raging wave that comes Afternoon drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda, a no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk. Here's Eric and Terry.
1: I'm Terry. Afternoon drive with Goodman and Fry today is is Terry Fry and Justin Adams of News Four, and you can reach us through the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at Justin Adams TV. And at T Fry, T F R E I.
0: Time now for the buzz. The buzz is presented by Rocky Mountain Forest Products, where they specialize in wholesale lumber to the public. Go to Rocky Mountain Forest Products in Wheat Ridge or go to RMFP.com.
1: Are you going to sing again if I mention CU? No,
2: no, I won't sing again if you mention CU, but there was a song from the '99 to the 2000s. I might sing if you bring it up again, okay. but uh, no, no, no. Uh, a
1: school I love <laughs> in Boulder has a former standout basketball player come off the bench to score 21 points as the Celtics came from behind on the road to knock off the Warriors 120-108 to 108 in Game 1 of the NBA Finals last night. Wearing a Beatles
2: sweatshirt. That's Did right. Did you see that? Come on. Wearing man.
1: a Beatles sweatshirt. He was interviewed by the ABC panel on the court set. Jalen Brown had twenty four, Al Horford had twenty six, but Derek White was the story with twenty one, in my opinion. It shocked me both the result and White's performance Shocked me. Did it shock
2: you? Well, it shocked me. Another thing that shocked me is that this seat just really made me shrink. Um, we have to get that taken care of at the break. But no, it did shock me. It shocked me the way that things happened, especially in the fourth quarter. We're talking about a team in Boston. They were down by 14 points. But a great article by Chris Haynes, uh, he writes for Yahoo Sports. And there was just a speech from uh, Boston's head coach. And the speech was, he you guys Udoka. are. Yeah, Udoka. And he was saying, you guys are playing soft. Like you guys are played soft, and immediately from there, you talk about a team that turns it around, outscores uh, Golden State forty to sixteen in the fourth quarter. That is ridiculous, and we're talking about the Golden State Warriors. You don't do that, you oh, know. Oh, all No, I mean, you know, and it's uh, it was just crazy to see what happened there. And I, I tell you, Terry, we we've seen hockey change, right? Yeah, you've been covering hockey for years. We have seen the game change. Cover,
1: I did cover the NBA for about 10 years.
2: Well, but that that's another deal, right? Yeah. So well, you know about the NBA. Now, what years did you cover the NBA?
1: Uh, I'm going to say 82 to 90,
2: 94-ish. Yeah, so you saw the time where you still had the running gun, obviously, with the Showtime Lakers. Yeah. But you still could guide a team With like hand checking rules and different things like that. I can
1: see, I can picture it.
2: The game has changed dramatically where there's positionless basketball. And what Boston has is they have guys one through four, one through five that could go and guard anybody. I mean, Peyton Pritchard, who's a guy who came from Oregon, Oregon fighting ducks, Oregon ducks. And he was not a guy when he left
1: Oregon that was a defender. Just to call no, what he is, but Ime Udoka gave him a chance, and when he was when he was scoring and playing well, he yes. left him in the game. Left him, and look, and he's making plays. And do you talk a coach being adaptive? Gee whiz, shocker, right? Uh,
2: but then you see Peyton Pritchard making plays, making defensive plays. Derek White with 21 points, hitting uh, about five three pointers. Right? I mean, it was just great to see what Boston was able to do. And it's the main reason why I'm picking the Celtics at six. I picked the oh. Celtics at six beforehand, and I think Golden State's in a lot of trouble. I really. I, do. I
1: don't. I think Golden State's still going to win this series either in four or five game, four, five or s- <laughs> six games. Really? Yeah, I do. Hey, do you do you know Eme Yudoka's background? Uh, I know that he's a uh, Nia Long. Well, he Udoka. was Udoka there, there. Well, he went. He went to. Uh, Jefferson High School in Portland. Did he? Okay. Yeah, and bounced around as a collegiate player. He ended up back at Portland State Okay. to uh, star in that program. So he he's an Oregonian who's kind of bounced around too. You know, it's interesting uh, to
2: see just how Boston has changed everything. Brad Stevens, right? Last mm-hmm. year he was coaching, then he went to the front office. And just how they immediately, like Danny Ainge, he was a part of everything with Boston. He's now with the Utah Jazz. And just how they made a couple of quick moves and before you know it, they're in the NBA Finals.
1: Where the hell, I mean, where the heck did uh, Derek White went to legend high school? Dude. And he wasn't really heavily no. recruited or anything. He ended up at UCCS. No, 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 no.
2: He ended up at Johnson & Wells at first. In AIA uh, with Jeff Culver when he was there. So how the that, how'd
1: that go? It is how so weird. he we end up with the Celtics? It is so weird how. We only have a few minutes. Well,
2: I'll it. try to I'll try to give you the Cliff Notes version. Long, long and short of it, it goes from UCCS. Uh, Jot to the Wells to UCCS, uh, Colorado, Colorado Springs, That's
1: uh, RMAC school.
2: Shout out to the uh, Mountain Lions, by the way. Plays for Jeff Culver. Uh, they win a couple of RMAC championships. Uh, then Derek White decides to go from there. Goes to CU, has to sit out a year. As he's sitting out that one year, uh. It, it's pretty clear that he's the best player on the team, but we're talking about guys who are nationally recruited, right? Mm-hmm. He finally gets his opportunity to play, and he is that guy day one for the bus.
1: You mean if you wandered into to the CU event center and watched practice, you'd go, who the hell is that guy? Exactly. Like, like well, I
2: see all these other guys, but who is him? And that, that's Derek
1: White. Derek White goes into
2: the first round, goes to the San Antonio Spurs, spends a couple of years in the G League. Um, and is able to blossom as a player, and he really got uh, one of his best games was against the Denver Nuggets in the playoffs in 2019. Um, Had a huge dunk in the face of Paul Millsap, had 30-plus points in Game 3 against the Nuggets, um, developed himself as a really good defender, and he started to have that three-point shot. So when he was traded from the San Antonio Spurs to the Boston Celtics, It was just that added icing on top of that big type of cake that they already have with Boston to have another 3 D guy off the bench that's able to score and able to go on guard whoever on the floor. And look, if you're going to beat a team like Golden State, you need as many players like that as possible. And that's what Boston has.
1: I don't think the Warriors are in trouble, but I think it's good for the series. That's great. Boston won the first game on the road. I like it when somebody wins on the road. Early in the series, so you know it's not going to be a home-and-home home exchange. Yeah,
2: especially the way that Boston did it. I mean, 40 to 16. I don't remember the last time a team with Stephen Curry on the roster, a team with Klay Thompson, Draymond Green was held to 16 points in a quarter. I don't remember that, especially in the fourth quarter. In the finals, at home, you never see that. But that's what Boston did,
1: and it's going to be a lot of fun, to say the least. Did he ever answer? I don't know. I saw him on the set. Did he ever answer why he was wearing a Beatles sweatshirt and who's his favorite Beatles? I don't know. I, 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 didn't, I didn't hear that. That's a great question though. We gotta find that out, man. We need to get our crack
2: staff out there and uh, and figure out what's going on. That'd be uh be something interesting to take a look at.
1: Well, it'll be fun to follow that series the rest of the way. Oh yeah, they're one 45. series ahead of the NHL. Yeah. So that's the other thing about the Avalanche. If they advance to the Stanley Cup Finals, they basically have the national sporting stage to themselves.
2: Which is the best thing to see because, let's be honest, do we really want to talk about the Colorado Rockies? Do we? Do we really want to do yeah. that? Yeah. No! Come on, man! Nobody wants to talk about the Rockies, man! Uh, they're good hot dogs. Uh, well, there are good hot dogs out there. Those Todd Helton. Brandon Rogers is Ooh. tearing it up. Man, he had three home runs, had a walk-off against the Marlins.
1: Now, about their pitching, Justin. Dad's garbage. Okay. Let's yeah, it's leave, trash. Let's it's, it's,
2: uh, it's, it's trash. It's so bad you don't even want to recycle it. If you're at a landfill, that's, that's what the Rockies pitching staff is right now. It's not good. It's not the hitter's fault. No. You have to have some good pitching, though, and they don't have that right
1: now. Well, now that we've ticked everybody off there, <laughs> when we come back, it'll be uh, what's trending
0: got to have it. Baby, you're a perfect 10. I want to get in. Can I get down? So I I like the way you work, kid. No diggity. I got to bag it up. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda. A no pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wild Card Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry.
1: Back to Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry. I'm with uh, Justin Adams of News 4, who's fitting in for Eric. Eric is working a fundraising auction for the athletic department at MSU Denver, a worthy cause, and he'll be back on uh, Monday. Time now for the buzz.
0: Time now for what's trending. What's Trending is presented by Low-T99, testosterone treatment made easy and affordable. For just $129 per month, they'll send you testosterone, supplies, and the price includes lab work. Go to Low-T99.com. Well,
1: we're going to start out being completely serious here. Yeah. You're a former buff. Mm-hmm. We've, we've well established that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Should we be concerned with Carl Durrell's CU football program now? Uh, he got off to that tremendously surprising and praiseworthy 4-2 record in 2020. He did a terrific job, I thought, that year That year to a 4-8 record in 2021. But what really is eye-catching and something to worry about, in my opinion, is the rush of players, including star players, like and Jerick Broussard, for example, mm-hmm. to bail out through the transfer portal. Now, we're looking at it the one way. We're looking at the guys leaving instead of the guys coming in. So I I suppose there's somewhat of a balancing formula there. But is that typical of the college game now, or uh, is it more than that and we should be concerned? I
2: think it's uh, initially you should be concerned because, you know, a lot of these guys, let's call it what it is, left for NIL deals, right? Jarek Broussard or uh, you also had uh, Jerry Rice's kid as well who left. uh, Brendan Rice. So Yeah, went to USC. And so anytime you lose your best cornerback, you lose your best safety, you lose your best wide receiver, your best running back, all of those guys who could still be on your roster, you have to go out and at least take a double take on what's going on with your program.
1: And Jerry Broussard, to be fair, went followed, followed. Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker. But he wasn't recruited State. by Mel Tucker, though.
2: But it's all good. I mean, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, it's this for the Buffs. It all depends on what lids you're taking this program this season. If the, you take the other it,
1: big loss was Christian Gonzalez.
2: Yeah. And, uh, Christian Gonzalez was that quarterback. Big, big loss. I believe he went to Oregon. Yeah. Uh, so if you look at the lids of this program and say you're expecting this team to be top twenty five, you're expecting this team to compete in the Pac twelve, you're yes. expecting this team to be yes. a bowl team, right? Yeah. And, and we all would love for this team yes. to be that, then you you're probably going to be very disappointed. Really? Yeah, you're going to be disappointed. But if you look at, say this is year one. Year one of Carl, what? I, I get it. Coming out of the pandemic, we're, we're still in the pandemic. I get it. Had some people on. Email, send me some nasty grams on that, but whatever. If you go ahead and say that you're pressing a reset button on this program and you're letting Carl Durrell get his guys, he has some pretty good recruiters. If you are going in it that direction, then you can hold on and you will benefit from the type of players that he's going to bring in, especially with NIL, finally getting that put together with CU. The biggest thing for the bus is this. You cannot have another coaching change too soon because of the, the instability that has happened at CU. There's been so much change, so many different coaches, so many different voices that has happened the biggest state that you can have is stability unless if the buffs truly follow their face and you could see that, look, they're not going in the right direction then you make the change. But other than that, you have to go and trust what Carl Durell has
1: put it together. And right now, according to ESPN, he has a top 20 recruiting class for 2023. This may seem strange, but I think that the, the biggest possibility for stability was if, uh, Remember when CU blew that game against Oregon State? that I do. Was pretty Mike pretty much Mike McIntyre's start of his downfall. That was a
2: that was a swan song.
1: As weird as it sounds, I think if they had won that Oregon State game, uh, the momentum would have been more positive. It, 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 and you can't just say they would have won, lost every game after that. Mm-hmm. If they lost. I think they would have had a better season. And they might have Mike McIntyre might still be the uh, head coach at Colorado if not for that Oregon State game or the negative karma in the program Mm -hmm. that was kind of gathered around it. But so, yeah, I understand. Then when Mel Tucker came in, uh, when he left after one year, it it just created an untenable situation. It really
2: did. But again, I don't blame Mel Tucker for leaving. I mean, you go to a place where you get paid more. I think it's almost double his salary at the time. I know for sure it doubled his salary now, how he's getting paid. But it just showed for that one year. If this is what Buffs fans should hold on to, it showed that one year that if you bring that special recruiter, you could actually get football to be back where it belongs in Boulder. It could happen again, but it takes number one consistency, and it takes two having those special recruiters, those special coaches, to go and get those players to Boulder. And now with with name, image, and likeness deals, you got to be able to spend some money too.
1: But I think there are two. Yeah, there are two issues involved. They're becoming competitive in the Pacific Twelve Conference. And also becomes remaining or becoming becoming or remaining competitive nationally. So the bigger picture issue there is whether you can be in the Pac-12, even even USC with money, y- this even, is- even UCLA with money, uh, whether you can be play by the Pac-12's highfalutin' rules, which are l- looked down on the NIL mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, guys at Oregon are making a lot of money. Oh no, sure, sure, sure. So, but it is not a league-wide phenomenon. That that I, I have we seen the days ending of the Pac-12 being one of the one of the Power Fives even
2: no because USC is back USC is back
1: is Oregon back
2: uh Oregon's, Oregon has the money to get players or I mean, look let's be honest Oregon was right there but, they just but they got beat by a really good Utah team. Yeah, they, I mean Utah was really, 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 really. But the good. could
1: see you compete in compete in that marketplace, the NIL marketplace, and it's funny because Rick George was part of the committee yeah. that, that essentially put together the standards and the rules for NIL. And, I,
2: I believe so. I believe that CU can. But but the main thing is this: is is two things. Who's CU's rival in the Pac-12? I've said this all well, the time. Theoretically, Utah. I, I but that, but that's my issue is you, that we have a theoretical do you hate Utah. I don't care about Utah. Shouldn't you hate your rival? I mean, well, I who hate, else could it be? I, I, I would tell you this. I hate Nebraska and to the point. By the way, I still struggle to wear to wear red to this day. <laughs> no, I mean it, it's so weird. I, I haven't been on. I haven't played a, a game in almost 15 years. And still to this day, if I see something that's red, I'm like, eh, I will wear something else. I mm-hmm. will wear a total different
1: color. And if you see somebody wearing a red hat with an N on it, you say, You guys think that stands for knowledge? Well, after I tackle
2: them, you know, and yeah. slam him to the ground, yes, then I say it stands for knowledge. But no, look, I see you to me. And I, I don't know why they haven't done this. And at some point they have to. And I've said this several different times. They need to go and declare a rival. You know what? You but know what? I would declare USC the rival. Who, who's the big boy in this conference? Well, USC has UCLA and Notre Dame already. In, in Nebraska, they also, they already had Oklahoma at the time. They already had different teams that were their rival. It didn't stop CU at the time from that. It didn't stop Bill McCartney from saying, this is going to be our rival. This is going to be the team that we are going to get up for. So why not USC
1: the USC would be laughing at you. And did, didn't Nebraska laugh at you? Yeah, I guess so.
2: And guess what happened a couple of years
1: after 62, a Bill Bacardi got— to 62 to what? 36? I don't right? 62 to 36, man. That's right. The butt kicking. It is what it is. You know, after after you get your butts kicked 62 to 36, you would think that would be kind of the end of your national championship aspirations, wouldn't you? Yeah. So no. Like what happened to the Nebraska <laughs> Cornhuskers after getting whipped?
2: well? You know, they end up going. Uh, they end up going to get whipped again by uh, Miami. <laughs> they wanted to get beat again. That was one of the all-time travesties. It really in the was bad. It Florida. it really was. Uh, hey, and it,
1: that kid is still crying.
2: I'd debate, hey, he's a grown man now, still crying. We should send that kid the video, by the way. Uh, but but to be, if you wanna if you wanna go and take care of CU football, you have to fight a rival. And you have to go and declare a rival. And for me, what I would do if I was Carl Durrell is I would say, USC, you are our rival. You know, I, and I will also say, here's another thing, UCLA, you're our rival too. Two different things are two major reasons why. Number one, those are going to be the two power teams in the Recruiting areas. Yeah, and recruiting areas. That's the number one thing, the recruiting areas. Right? You mm-hmm. have to go after those kids. You have to be able to say, we're going to walk into the Los Angeles Coliseum and we're going to beat USC. But we need your help in order to get it done.
1: Isn't that what Bill McCartney did? What's the, well, here's a bit more important thought. You have to beat your rival. Yeah, well. So like who's the worst team in Division I football? New Mexico State? <laughs> <laughs> I say You're our rival. Yeah, you're yeah, our rival. Your New Mexico State. We
2: win every year. We we get up for the guys to be able to beat them in the first quarter. Uh, how about or or the Citadel? Yeah, Citadel's bad, too or Villanova. They're pretty uh, terrible at this state called football. Uh but no, in, in all seriousness. The Buffs could still win. It's still places you could do what you got to do. NIL has made different things possible. Uh, Ryan Day, who's the head coach with Oregon State, he said pretty much you need thirteen million dollars a year in order to go and get the best players and to keep the best talent. Well, guess what?
1: Find that thirteen mil, get those players to keep it moving. What do you do if you're at Washington State? That's the one I always look at. Not 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 just Washington State, but the schools, the types of Washington yeah. State. How do they survive? Go and find that money. Go and find those diamonds in a rough. Go and
2: find the kids who just need that opportunity. There are plenty of kids out there who do the 7 out 7 circuit who just need that chance. And then you have to go and develop these young men. But here's the thing now with NIL. You have to develop them and keep them. That's the biggest thing is how do you find different ways to keep them? Because if you don't, you'll find yourself like how CU did in the offseason where there's a huge exodus of talent away from your program.
1: I think you need to be hired as an executive Vice President for Athletics at CU. You got to. Please, I'll take it. I'll take the paycheck too. (laughs) Put me up there. (laughs) And who would be our rival? It would be USC. It would be USC tonight. But then you play them. You have to listen to that damn March, Trojan March song all the time. We had to do the same
2: thing with Nebraska. Nebraska was the big boy. Nebraska was that team in the top 10 every year, top five, winning national championships. You had to figure out a way how to beat them to get to, to the Orange Bowl at the time. And if you want to get to the national championship, if that's still your aspiration, if you want to get to the college football playoff, then you have to go through USC because you are not going to get there if you don't win your own conference. And for the Buffs to be able to do
1: that, they will have to go through USC. Buff football can be back. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. When we come back, we'll be be looking at the Argonaut wine and liquors just in case you missed it. We'll be right back.
0: Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda. A no pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wild Card Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Well, we're finishing up the
1: afternoon drive with Goodman and Fry. Eric today is helping out at MSU Denver, serving as an auctioneer at the fundraiser for the athletic department. And I'm Terry Fry, and it's been a Enjoy again to sit in with Justin Adams of News Four. Time now for the final word. The final word. Are you ready?
0: Presented by Greenfields Pool and Sports Bar in Lakewood. Greenfields has everything under one roof, including the best happy hour in town: two for one wine, well, and drafts from three until seven p.m. Yeah. Just in case you missed it's presented by Argonaut Wine & Liquor. You need to see why Westward named it the best wicker store in Denver, five years running, or order online at Argonaut Liquor.com.
4: Just in case you missed it, Nike founder Phil Knight made an offer of over $2 billion to purchase the Portland Trailblazers from the Paul Allen Trust. Team representatives responded, quote, The team remains not for sale, end quote. Uh, with Nike's headquarters and Knight's alma mater, the University of Oregon, both in the state, his ties to the local market run deep. Do you think that eventually Phil Knight will own the NBA's Portland franchise?
1: I don't know the state of the thinking of the Paul Allen. The state his sister Jody is involved heavily, uh, but Paul, but not, but Knight Phil Knight is a natural owner for that franchise, given that uh, the world headquarters for Nike is in Beaverton. And also that he is a he is a University of Oregon alum, and is heavily involved in obviously sports across the board. I I would not be surprised if it happens. It's really a natural, uh, but I, I, it apparently isn't going to happen now. Offer three billion dollars and you're uh, <laughs> ready to move on in.
2: <laughs> That's what I would say. Okay, you maybe, have all that money. Maybe Rob Walton wants that team too. Yeah, he needs it. Shoot, you know what? I'll go buy some more shoes right now. Come on, let's help out, man. You know, you know, Phil. Phil, this is just to talk to you, Phil. I'll buy some more sneakers for you.
1: We could both own uh, the Portland Trail Blazers. Well, I've for. told you that Phil Knight was aligned with the, or, with famous Oregon track coach Bill Bowerman and Jeff Hollister and kind of the, the original company, Blue Ribbon Sports, which preceded, which preceded Nike. And when my father was coaching at the University of Oregon, they were looking for original investors. Yeah. He passed.
3: Oh! Oh!
1: So you could have bought the Portland Trail Blazers. Yeah, I could be buying. We, we, we could on, we'd be saying, Terry Perry. Fry is rumored to be interested in buying the Portland Trail Blazers. Best Helen and I lived on a cul-de-sac in Beaverton when I was at the Oregonian. That was Helen and me and everybody from Nike. We were very close to the world headquarters. Man, could have had it. And I also remember, uh, I'm getting off track here, excuse me. When the Blazers were in the NBA Finals, Howard Schlusher, who was a famous agent at the time, But nobody knew that he was also an executive. And Nike calls me up and he says, Harry, do you think if in the NBA finals, this was the Detroit series in 1990, Detroit, Portland. He says, do you think if if the Blazers are in the finals and we threw a party at Nike, the media would come? I I said, free swag, all that stuff. You dig, right? I think that started a tradition of parties at NBA finals ever since. I like it.
4: Just in case you missed it, We had Ryan Blackburn on earlier to talk about Josh Kroenke's press conference, uh, mainly discussing the Nuggets, but there were some avalanche questions in there as well. One that we didn't touch on with Ryan uh, had to do with the losses of the avalanche, as they are apparently, according to Josh Kroenke, an eight-figure loss on the avalanche. The team itself in the red. Uh, What do you make of that?
1: How much is the team worth? <laughs> I understand saying that, and, and, and I'm sure he was sincere, and I, I get it. But the fact of the matter is we're seeing even in the involvement with his Broncos sale, that, that the big the big issue is how much do you get for it when you sell. The, the reality is, is that that could be
3: true,
2: right? That you are losing $8 million. Uh, or whatever the figure is, right? It's it's not exactly eight. We talk about eight figures. But we will say this is that you have a team that is getting a lot of national pub and um, they have an opportunity to win the Stanley Cup final. So um, you would hope that even if you are losing a little bit of money, eight
1: figures would be like 10 million. Yeah, well, you take the 10 and million, as keep of moving
4: as of 2021 franchise had an estimated value of six hundred thirty million. You know
2: know what? If if it really hurts that much, you could give me $10 million and I'll figure it out.
1: You know, the other thing involved here is that I really seriously did hear that somebody apparently asked Josh about the Nuggets being the redheaded stepchild, which is a poor taste and probably not factual, but I heard that that somebody asked that, but the the perception, Josh Kroenke's a basketball guy. He does get involved in the basketball decisions. Josh Kroenke's points to Joe Sackick and says, ask him. He, he, I asked him what his philosophy was in unrestricted free agency in the NHL, in the NHL, and he said, go ask Joe. So they, the difference in operation with the two franchises is rather stark.
2: But it does show this. One team is two wins away from the Stanley Cup final. And to be honest, the next time you and I talk together, we could be looking at the Colorado Avalanche being in the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 2001.
1: If they were in New York, are we all going to go? Danny, do you want to go to I'll New go? York? Let's do it.
4: I don't, I don't think I can go. I have Danny, to be here and Danny, run the show.
2: Danny, Danny, Danny. Have Maha Sports pay for it. I've seen the, they, the evaluation.
4: They can't we'll the pay show. for Let's me to go. The- I have to be here and run the show.
1: We can do the show live from Times Square. Yeah, we can. Don't you think? Let's do it. Go well, Maybe go to a Broadway show. Yeah.
2: Actually, we should do it at a Broadway show. <laughs> That's what we should do. <laughs> What's going on?
1: That would be fun. Yeah. And and it's been fun today, Justin, and I hope we're going to do it again soon. Yes, sir. And and thank you, Danny. And we're going to sign off. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. God bless. Uh